here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Rumble Rewind. And what we're doing here is we're going through all the past uh, Royal Rumbles, or as many as we can. It's, it's going to be a, a tough task, but I think right now we have about 11 or 12 of them already scheduled out, so hopefully we'll get them all. But anyway, we're going to start with the first televised one. And I first, before we get into that, wanted to welcome our special guest. And, and with this series, I'm trying to get guests from all over the internet. So um, not just Joe, maybe some other guys, people I know, friends, people from other websites and stuff. Uh, this first guy comes to us from placetobenation.com. It's a, he's a, a, a listener of the show, longtime listener of the show, longtime friend of the show, and it's Chad Campbell. Chad, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Not, uh, not too bad, not too bad. We're doing a, a, a post-New Year's Eve show, and I think we both sound pretty good. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's an accomplishment yeah. in itself, and considering how early it is. But uh, first off, I mentioned you're from placetobenation.com. If you want to maybe explain for people that don't know uh, what Place to Be Nation is and, and what you sort of do there. Okay, I am the assistant managing editor there, so I'm one of the, uh, we call it the core four uh, guys that kind of behind the scenes put everything together, but basically placetobenation.com is, it's a wrestling website that we have, but we're also all facets of other pop culture areas. So we have sports, TV, movies, uh, a lot of MMA. Our MMA writer got credentialed at a UFC over in England uh, this past year. Oh, nice. Comics, gaming, and just even general life stories. And then I think one of our uh, other facets is we have a good many of podcast family over there. So we have about seven or eight podcasts. We update daily. There'll be at least two to three, uh, sometimes up to even five articles daily. So if you if that sounds interesting to you, you can go over to placetobenation.com, check it out, follow us on Twitter at place the number two B Nation, and uh, just give us a shot. Sounds good. All right, awesome. So um, before we kind of get into this, 
I, I, when I initially asked for people that want to do the Royal Rumble, you were the, one of the first ones that kind of jumped out and said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. What is it about the Royal Rumble that you, you've, you've always liked? And obviously, we're going to do the first televised one here. So this is, this is the, the nitty-gritty, the, the deep sort of history one. What's sort of been your background or allegiance to the Royal Rumble, or is it just something you just kind of liked? I think the, the match concept in itself is so approachable to even like casual fans like i know growing up uh i started watching wrestling when i was three four years old so my mom and dad would kind of just you know entertain me and every once in a while would watch a match here or there but even now with the royal rumble like at the 2008 royal rumble i was able to buy the pay-per-view at my house there when i was still living with them and they came down and they were engrossed in that royal rumble and my wife who barely watches any wrestling at all every once in a while will kind of get into the concept of the royal rumble so i think it's the best uh, concept that wwf or wwe's ever thought of no, absolutely, and I'm glad you sort of mentioned that uh, about the parents. We had uh, I was over at my buddy's house once. And we do we do a Royal Rumble pool. Like what we do is we take uh, who was ever there. We we put numbers in a hat, and then people pick it out, and then whoever comes out at that number or whatever, we do kind of a, a betting game to get a little bit more in it. We had um, his dad actually came down, and he was totally into it the whole show. And like he just came down to initially just say, oh, "I'll just get into the bet because you guys need an extra person." And then he didn't. I mean, he could have left at any point, but mm-hmm. we see him on the corner of his head, and he's, "Oh, what number is that? Who's that guy? Or what's that?" <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to see that. No, it is it is one because it's just such a basic sort of idea and i think with the 1998 one or 1988 sorry rather one um that's where you first see the concept and i I think initially maybe initial thoughts before we get into the kind of the the details of it it, it's the basic royal rumble i think this is (laughs) watching going back and watching some of them or, or watching the other ones where do you sort of put this one maybe we don't have to rank it you know exactly but where would you put this one compared to the other ones i think it's like it's the basic of the basic you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah it's it's definitely bare bones uh you wonder how much of the concept they really had in mind before they actually executed this because this royal rumble went up against the uh, nwa pay-per-view bunkhouse stampede mm-hmm. so you wonder if this was something uh, patterson just kind of thought of and kind of the last minute to have something they could put on USA that was different along with the whole Andre thing. But, uh, it's, it's, it's probably as we go through all these, if we, uh, I'm planning on watching all the Royal Rumbles too, even the ones I'm not going to be doing the podcast with and going in, I had it as like a bottom five Royal Rumble is what I imagined it be pegged as. Yeah. I've watched maybe six or seven already at, at this point. It's uh, it's, it's at the bottom so far, but actually, uh, I, I found this out doing a little bit of research i had not known this i mean this is obviously the first televised royal rumble but it wasn't the first one they actually had one on a house show on october 4th in st louis uh, yeah it drew a little under two thousand people uh one nine <laughs> seven six so it wasn't very good It was kind of a failure from that standpoint so it's interesting to see if they sort of went back to it later and, and even put it up against an mwa pay-per-view obviously they did well you know after that it became one of the big four pay-per-views and it's obviously been a huge deal but i thought that was kind of interesting that one was won by the one-man gang so he eliminated the junkyard dog for the, the final elimination for that one i could not find it anywhere i don't think there's any footage of it even like and we're talking 1987 so that, that's kind of you're not going to find anything there's not maybe you'll get a fan cam here and there but yeah i couldn't find anything in my research so we'll jump uh, ahead to 1988 then or jump back sorry to, to 1988 we're in the cops coliseum in hamilton ontario um i was kind of interested i always i'm always a big stadium guy obviously being a big sports fan i'm, I'm always intrigued by stadiums the cops coliseum actually still around um it's still standing in hamilton it was actually renovated or there was plans to renovate it because the phoenix coyotes i don't know if you remember that they were uh, looking to move Right, number of different places. Hamilton was one of the ones in there, and that was going to be the the stadium where they were going to move. So they were planning on doing reservations or, or renovations, rather. 
Um, the Coyotes didn't go there, so as far as I know, they haven't done them renovations. And I couldn't find a whole lot that's going on at the Cops Coliseum anymore, so it's just kind of <laughs> it's kind of there. But uh, interesting thought. I'm always I'm always interested in these, especially when you see these stadiums and they're just long gone. You know, especially in this area, a lot of the ones in, the, in this area are just not even there anymore. So kind of interesting. Uh, we have um, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on commentary. Before we get again, thoughts on Jesse uh, on the Jesse Ventura McMahon duo because we a lot of us kind of grew up with the the, the jesse gorilla combo um if you watch saturday night made an event and all those sort of things you had the jesse vince what was your sort of thoughts of that dynamic yeah uh jesse and vince is a duo by the time i started watching uh it was more gorilla and bobby or that type of duo so i never yeah, same for me. Inter- yeah so i never really interacted with uh, jesse and vince as a kid but going back and listening to them, I really enjoyed their interaction with each other and think they complement each other well, mostly. Uh, there's a couple of notes I wrote about this match in particular that kind of irked me more than I would say usual. But uh, but I generally think they're a pretty good duo together. Yeah, there was a few times, and, and we'll get to that a little bit later, right? I, I think Jesse was sort of tongue-in-cheek, or, or maybe not even tongue-in-cheek, but sort of criticizing McMahon or criticizing the booking <laughs> like outwardly. And it, we'll get to that a little bit. I mean, it was actually the end where one that I thought was particularly interesting but we'll sort of get to that when we get there um first off we have uh Howard Finkel gives us the instructions uh we have 20 men uh every two minutes they will enter um just about the same he doesn't specify though the both feet thing he just says they yes. throw over the top rope and I made a note of that because that sort of changed over the years and it sort of changed based on how they wanted to book the Royal Rumble because there's particular ones where they made sure to let you know oh both feet have to hit the floor and we'll, and we'll get to those as we get into the the different rumbles but Played, uh, played a bigger factor in later ones. But yeah, I found it interesting in this one where he just said you have to just go over the top rope. Doesn't matter about the feet, just over the top rope. So right. always love the, the the Finkel introduction. So we start out with Bret Hart into the ring, uh, still managed by Jimmy Hart at this time. This is just before um, he would actually do a face turn. I know they had talked about wanting to break them up, do that sort of stuff. They actually ended up just doing a face turn before that. Um, he was also in the ring with uh, Strike Force era Tito Santana. So we're, we're way back there. We have Bret Hart, heel Bret Hart, and Strike Force Tito Santana. Um, I did mention as well, this was a USA uh, television special. So as you mentioned, it went up against the uh, NWA pay-per-view at the time. But this is a USA Today special. There's a bunch of other stuff on the card. We're just going to be reviewing the actual Rumble matches for this, if I didn't specify that. So unfortunately, we will not be doing a lengthy review about the Dino Bravo uh, weightlifting <laughs> competition. <laughs> did you watch that, though? Um, when you I, have, I have seen that oh, my uh, God. Is plenty that, of times. That is the most torturous like 70 <laughs> minutes of how long is that segment? By the way? He really uh, preps up before he does the big lift. There. And then uh, Jesse, what does he keep Saying, he says something every single time. He's like, "No, it's not an official record. Like, we don't know if it's an official record. Like, we have yes, to weigh that. We yes. have to weigh the bar later. We have to weigh." It's like, "All right." I mean, that thing. I can't imagine watching that on TV. That just it went on forever. Like that. That was fun. That was pretty funny. But uh, so we start off uh, obviously with Bret Hart and uh, Tito Santana. Uh, we're gonna run through the, the kind of the guys coming in. Um, the before we go though, um, Bret Hart. Uh, he actually lasted a long time in this one, and we'll get to him when he sort of gets eliminated. But. Initial thoughts of, of Bret Hart at this time. I know you said you kind of jumped in a little bit later, but it's sort of interesting to still see him in this heel Jimmy Hart role. He's a very different character from what we got used to, even even as a heel later in his career. This is kind of the the, the chicken shit Bret Hart <laughs> in a lot of ways. But I think he sort of he in a lot of ways he got rid of it in this match as well. Yeah, uh, com- coming up to this, there was not a lot of I would not consider his personality a hitman the way he performed in the ring mostly kind of begging off and sneaking around uh this the opening stanza between these two i thought 
the most interesting thing was I kind of thought they might do some more athletic or uh, some even chain wrestling just because it was them two and they wouldn't have to worry about guys stepping on them if they were rolling around on the mat. But they really kind of set a tone at the beginning that this is going to be kind of a punch kick yeah. night match. <laughs> yeah, especially with those two. You thought you were in a little bit more of that, but uh, you, you didn't. So um, uh, One thing I noted uh, initially that I thought pretty funny is um and, and you don't see this obviously anymore i mean right now the, the wwe's television is just spot on but i know one of the cameras was white balanced and the other one wasn't and they kept switching to it the hard cam i believe was uh the hard cam actually wasn't white balanced while the other one was it was just kind of weird when they would switch the colors would change and it was just like you you, you don't see that anymore i mean it's like that's yeah. that's early 1990 or 1988 you know not really knowing tv and all that sort of stuff um what they got found interesting they had a uh, on-screen countdown but it did not look like the crowd could see it did you it, it no. seemed like later in the day or later in the match they started counting or, or at least we get excited when a wrestler was coming out but it didn't look like they knew that what the countdown was right right especially this first one uh the number three's Butch Reed, and he just kind of almost sneaks into the ring <laughs> before anybody looks like recognizes that somebody else is coming out. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think – I really don't think they were able to uh, see the countdown. All right, so as you mentioned, Butch Reed uh, entered without much fanfare. He just kind of walked up there. Um, next guy was Jim Neidhart, and at this point we have um, – before Butch Reed and Hart were working together, teaming up on Santana, at this point we had Nyhart walk down, so we have a three-on-one on Santana. So we had a very, uh, very obvious, you know, heels beating up babyface, you know, dynamic with this one. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you, you, um, interesting that they did not get him out though. That there was three-on-one and and, and <laughs> the mighty Tito Santana could not be could not be thwarted. Yeah, there was not a lot of desperation seen by this duo with them uh, triple teaming on Santana. And yet they still at, at the very end before Jake comes out at number five, they kind of have him teetering on the ropes, but it, it seemed a little unrealistic that like, especially this big guy, like the amble that was fresh uh, and all three of them couldn't eliminate Tito there at the very end. That's a lot of resilience yeah, uh, for Tito. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts uh, runs down a huge fanfare. He was he was super over at this point, and um, he runs down. He helps out Santana. He immediately tosses out Butch Reed, and the crowd's just going insane for for Jake Roberts. And Jake's a guy that always, I mean, that that guy was on fire at this point, and, and was really on fire through most of his, his WWF career, despite not really ever getting to the level of a, of a main eventer or even a sub main eventer. I'd say. I mean, all the, outside of his you know Randy Savage run, I think the rest of it was kind of just kind of there you know yeah he's one of these interesting guys that had a lot of fanfare a lot of proper popularity that never seemed to match his push uh you never had a intercontinental title run or nothing like that and he's someone that um, in this match you know they would chant ddt at various intervals was very over uh he does get the first elimination but as we go on throughout this match i think there were certainly people that the wwf brass position to have a bigger push within this match and i would argue jake was one of the two or three most uh over baby faces throughout this match really only i think duggan's the only contender that i can think of right offhand yeah absolutely uh right after this the heart foundation tosses out uh tito santana um 
we start noticing with this. Uh, I, I made a note of this one. Uh, when uh, we have Harley Race come out after Jake Roberts and then uh, Jim Brunzel uh, comes out, the fans start to notice a little bit. And we sort of talked a l- earlier in the podcast about um, not th- them not seeing the countdown, but they sort of started to notice that people were coming in. I don't know if somebody was timing it in their head or was counting down in their head or if maybe there was a spotlight going on or if, if there was an agent sort of pointing to the back or something like that. But you started to see cr- the crowd either kind of get the idea of what's going on here or get the idea that these guys are coming out at two minutes. And it seemed like they were pretty strict to the two-minute thing, which they definitely in later years just kind of <laughs> just sort of were like, ah, you know, come on. Cause uh, you'll see sometimes where guys were out for two minutes and you see sometimes where guys were out with a minute, a lot of spot based sort yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and they think, would, and they would, yeah, this was more timer oriented than like, if you see this spot occur, then you just run out, which just happens mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, 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 they'll go on and say approximately two minutes. I mean, I, I don't think I'll made a, made a mention of that every single time is that approximately every two minutes <laughs> somebody will come out because sometimes, yeah, it's like a minute and, and someone's doing something and then Roddy Piper has to run out, you know, right. <laughs> and do that. So, um, after, um, after Jim runs out, we have Sam Houston, any memories of Sam Houston in WWF? I have zero. I have <laughs> I, literally zero memories of, of Sam Houston. Pretty much only in Battle Royals. I know he was in the WrestleMania 4 Rumble and yeah, then right, uh, right. just as Jake's half-brother. That's pretty much what I associate with Sam Houston. Not a lot of fanfare for his entrance. And, and uh, in the match, didn't do a ton um, as well. It really stood out. I mean, I... I you, He's a half-brother of Jake Roberts, and they both are Grizzly Smith's uh, their fathers. But you didn't see much there. Sam Houston just kind of came out. The crowd was into him. He was fast-paced or whatever, but it, it was, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of <laughs> much for Sam Houston there. Um, after Sam Houston, we have Danny Davis. Uh, then we have Boris Zukov. And then we had an interesting uh, entry was uh, Don Morocco and Nikolai Volkov. Both men run out at the same time. Uh, Morocco is obviously ahead of, of, of Volkov. It, it, very weird, because then Morocco just kind of looks back, enters the ring, and then the referee stop Volkov, and then Volkov waits two minutes, and then he just kind of slides in. Was this supposed to happen, or what, what was going on here? <laughs> it was kind of, it almost looked like Volkov, it, I mean, I don't know, he might have just played it up, like, really, really well, and was really good at his job, but it, it was very odd. It just looked like Volkov missed his cue and just ran right in at the same, but I don't know how that's even humanly possible that he would run in after Morocco, but Morocco sort of looks back and kind of like, what are you doing? And then slides in. Yeah, there it's, it almost looks like a baseball where sometimes you'll have it where they're running around the base pass for one right behind each other on a uh, whack. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's what it looks like, and nobody attacks him. Like Morocco (laughs) doesn't turn around and like deck him, and then like Volkov doesn't deck Morocco. It's just kind of like they're running (laughs) in together, and they're and they're. I I don't know. Yeah, uh, Vince blue. To Volkov's uh, lack of IQ, so his, his <laughs> mental capacity was brought into question. And uh, I, I, the way it worked out, I would hope that it was a planned spot. And I think <laughs> if I had to guess, it probably was. But uh, Volkov was really selling it because throughout this two minutes, he is having a heated discussion with Joey Morella outside. And then a few other referees have yeah, to come yeah, over. Yeah, there's too, like two or three that are kind of <laughs> deliberating with him, and he looks completely confused. And then actually, Boris gets tossed. Uh, during this interval, so like him and Volkov even interact and say a few words, and then when number 12 hits, Volkov just slides in. So he did look completely confused and flabbergasted at what was going on. Uh, Jim Duggan's our next one out, and he comes out to a huge pop, and, and he postures to the crowd, does, does his... Uh, 
his somewhat normal USA stuff, but with this one, you see a little bit of a different Jim Duggan and, and um, more uh, closer to the Mid-South Jim Duggan before he would become the, the Eugene-like, you know, special, like, whatever the hell he was later in his WWF, where he was just a total character, and he, he with the thumbs up and the two-by-four, and the, uh, where he just completely gave up you know, in a lot of ways and really just sort of, I mean, in a sense, embraced what his character was supposed to be, but really stopped being a great, you know, in-ring guy, but... Yeah, I thought it was very interesting how, how close he was sort of the Mid-South Jim Duggan at this point. I know you're a pretty big fan of, uh, of Mid-South in that era. Did you, did you sort of see the same thing? Yeah, this is a good uh, kind of time period to see the turnover from where the Mid-South Jim Duggan was uh, mostly just like fearless. He's not. He's never been a character that's someone that you'd call the smartest wrestler in the promotion at any given time. But in Mid South, he was a standing tall, not going back down baby face that was very fearless. And you start to see that crossover into kind of the cheating, just USA shilling. Uh, quite frankly, kind of mentally incapacitated himself. Uh, <laughs> WWF, and then later on WCW Duggan. So he's still. Some of the stuff is starting to creep in here where he has the two by four and he is doing the thumbs up when he walks out. But, uh, but he had was able to rein that in a little bit in his early run. And as he does walk out, Harley race had just been eliminated. And uh, one of my favorite spots really of the match, I don't think Duggan did know this was happening, but as Harley passes Duggan, he decks him right in the jaw <laughs> and, and probably the best work punch of the match. And, Duggan looks a little exasperated and gives chase to race and then turns right back around and gets into the ring. <laughs> so I enjoyed that spot, too. I, thought, I, I, saw, I saw that one as well. It was pretty interesting. Uh, we had, uh, after Duggan, we had Ron Bass and B. Brian Blair, the other Killer B, are coming in there. Um, afterwards, we have Hillbilly Jim and then Dino Bravo. And Hillbilly Jim is a guy, um, and we, uh, we make a little bit of mention of this uh, with, with Don Morocco, um, you know, and his. Uh, this is obviously this is the the, the prime time of the juiced era of, of WWF. I mean, these guys are gigantic, and and Morocco is obviously the the one that you always sort of remember as as at least to me, I always remember as the biggest guy. But man, Hillbilly Jim, he was big too, huge. Yeah, Don, Don Morocco looks like if you suck a pin in him, uh, some, <laughs> some sort of liquid would come shooting out yeah, like or a just fire hose. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Hillbilly Jim is somebody that I'd never. I mean, I always kind of associated him as a little flabby and just like kind of a big country boy lumbering dude. But during this match, I was really taken aback, like with his with his muscle definition and everything. He was jacked. I was shocked, actually. Yeah, and, and speaking of jacked, uh, after Hillary Jim comes Dino Bravo out to the <laughs> ring, and, and earlier in the match, <laughs> earlier in the event, he had the, the the weightlifting competition, and Jesse makes a lot of mention of that. And obviously, that's something we mentioned. Don't don't go watch because. It's awful. It's 40, 40 minutes of my dog even hates it. <laughs> I made my dog watch it and he hated it too. But yeah, it's just it's just forty minutes of just awful, awful. It's just Jesse screaming about nonsense and, and and you think you're used to pro wrestling angles being you know weightlifting competitions is where the guy's going to drop the, the thing on his chest or he's going to do something, but not this one. This is just you know Bravo lifting and that's it. Right. This was right around the time of the Road Warriors Powers of Pain weightlifting competition where they brawled and used the weight as weapons. We didn't get that here. It's basically to show Dino as a cheater. And Dino's another guy in the jag up category. Even watching him jog out 
to the ring seemed like a pretty uh, heavy task for him. He was kind of sucking wind and looked a little blown up he getting into so the wind. Yeah. That, that's a guy. I mean, even we talk about the Damaracos of the world, and even the warlord who couldn't like move his arms or whatever, but Bravo was just like the most unathletic guy. That He just, even, I mean, I can't remember any Bravo matches where he did, you know, obviously it's WWF era Bravo, where he did anything like remotely like athletic, where I would say, wow. I've, I've watched, you know what I mean? There was nothing. Yes, nothing in the WWF. I have watched uh, some early AWA Bravo matches, like 82-83 era, and he's not quite as jacked up, but he certainly showed a little more. I mean, you know, it's it's not like Tiger Mask in the ring, relative, but yeah. <laughs> relative, relative to what we see here, it's a lot. Uh, it's night and day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right around this time, we had uh, Sam Houston, uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier. He had a rough fall. He he got onto Ron Bass's shoulders. He was up on the top rope and, and for some reason was on Ron Bass's shoulders. Uh, Duggan goes up. He punches Ron Bass. Bass sort of falls towards the ropes and then just kind of drops Sam Houston. Houston falls right on his face. It's definitely the hardest fall you're going to see in this match, in a match where a lot of the, like we mentioned, a lot of the big dudes weren't really into taking <laughs> really hard falls. They were just kind of going over the ropes how they did. But this Houston one, I mean, he went right from Ron Bass's shoulders fell like I, I think face first onto the mat and I know Vince initially and Vince and Jesse are like oh my god what you know Vince is like oh that's a painful fall I mean I don't know I'm assuming he knew that was kind of going to happen but it seemed like everybody was sort of reactive like oh wow crap I hope he's okay like that was it was a tough fall yeah and he sells it well too walking to the back wounded it was the most impressive elimination like you said in this match because it was essentially a a bump straight from the equivalent of the top rope down to the floor. So it was a nasty little bump. Uh, right around this time, we also had uh, Damaraco, who we just mentioned, uh, tossed out Bret Hart. And, and this, um, Jesse Ventura puts this over huge, that you know Bret lasted, um, obviously he was the first one in the ring, he lasted 25 minutes and 42 seconds. That was the longest time, obviously, in, in this match. It got, it got broke last year, but you had 10 guys to the match, that's going to happen, because this one obviously only had 20, uh, next year's had 30. But very interesting to see Bret Hart and sort of the, the pseudo-push he was getting at this point. This is not... Um, they didn't turn him face for a few years. He was still sort of in the Hart Foundation. But you sort of start seeing the build towards let's make Bret Hart something more. And I think you got a little bit of that in this particular match. Yeah, it's interesting to watch the plight of Bret kind of around this era because you have his lengthy run here, uh, the the WrestleMania 4 Battle Royal thing, and then they kind of reset and still keep him with Nightheart, even though they were talking or wanting to split them up. They still keep him with Nightheart. And then even later on, like his fall 1989, he has a long singles run where they tested again. And then again, though, throughout 1990, he's still with Nightheart. So it really took a while, it seems like, before they kind of got behind Bret Hart. Uh, but that could be rewarding to the viewer because if he's someone that you started to take notice around this time in 1988, by the time he does beat someone like Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 91, you really feel like you've invested a lot into his character, and uh, it's it's very rewarding to see him succeed like that. Absolutely, and he, um, you know, mentioned uh, he he won the uh, WrestleMania Four uh, Battle Royal just after this, but then yeah, as you mentioned, he sort of floundered for a little bit. There was always that idea that we're going to do something with him or that he was, he was you know, obviously the star of, of that tag team and he was one of these, you know, real good wrestlers, but he's still he's not quite there. He's still got a lot of ways to go before he gets there. Um, uh, after Dino Bravo, we had the Ultimate Warrior come out, and I thought this was particularly interesting because I see Warrior and, and, and you sort of always assume that when you're seeing the Ultimate Warrior that this is going to be a big deal, that, oh, my God, it's the Ultimate Warrior because he's always been a star. He's always been a guy that, that has been 
to the you know near the top or whatever. And later in this year, he feuded with Andre and and obviously Rick Rude, and eventually two years later was you know won the world title and 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 won the or you know was main eventing WrestleManias or whatever. At this point though, not a whole lot of fanfare for Ultimate War. I mean, the fans are into him, but Vince isn't too you know outwardly. Oh my God, it's the Ultimate Warrior. It's just kind of like oh, Ultimate Warrior is coming out. Yeah, I think you can make an argument. This is one of the last times that you'll see him in WWE or in any promotion he was in where he doesn't necessarily look like a star. Uh, he only debuted a couple months before this in the promotion. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't have a ton of fanfare at all when he comes out there. Vince is certainly not pushing him up like he was pushing other people throughout the match. His elimination is very anticlimactic. I'd actually forgotten that he was in this match, and I was wondering how he got eliminated. And just just if you're going back and looking on paper at this roster, you would have thought the Ultimate Warrior is by far the biggest star in this match, kind of in wrestling history. But uh, it, it didn't turn out this way, uh, by the way the match was performed. No, not at all. And he was only in for uh, three minutes and 51 seconds. And uh, I mean, obviously it took two guys. It took uh, Dino Bravo and one man gang who who came in after Warrior to, to, to knock him out. But it wasn't like this, you know, and that's I went in initially thinking, OK, how are they going to get Warrior out of here? Because it's just a bunch of these bums. I mean, I don't know. What, what is Sam Houston going to do? You know, or, uh, what, you know, what's a board? Or, or he got out, out too. But it, it, you wonder, you know, there's all these bums. Who are they, how the hell are they going to get Ultimate Warrior out? And I mean, it, it, it took two guys, but it wasn't much. It was just kind of a clothesline over the ropes and, and Warriors out after three minutes. So I found that particularly interesting. Uh, one man game comes out after that. And then followed by, um, we're doing a countdown for the last guy. And Jesse <laughs> makes a pretty funny comment. He goes, uh, the last man is coming in. It isn't you, McMahon, is it? And McMahon's, oh, no, 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 definitely not. No, no, no. I would never. No, you know, and that's <laughs> kind of funny because obviously your, your 1999 Royal Rumble winner is Mr. <laughs> Kennedy McMahon. But at this point, no idea. He's like, what are you talking about? No. Yeah, it, I'm not going to be in the Royal Rumble. It's hard to believe that Vince is a. It, it's still unbelievable to think that Vince is a world champion and former uh, Royal Rumble winner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a humorous moment, kind of to look back in retrospect and hear that. A lot of the stuff, um, and I've heard this discussed elsewhere. If if you never had the Vince McMahon character, what would you think of announcer Vince McMahon? Or how does it sort of change for you? Because I think it's an interesting question because it's it's so funny watching these go back because it's almost just like a joke. Anything he says, because you're like, dude, you're gonna. I mean, like, you know what he's gonna do in like ten years, and it's just hilarious. But yeah, I think if we didn't have that, I don't know what we would think about Vince McMahon as the announcer. Yeah, and even I would say the worst part of that is like his prime time Zubaz era. Mm-hmm. Like 1991, I've been watching a lot of that stuff in the past couple months. And, I mean, this is a CEO owner of a big company even at that time. And he's wearing the the ugliest clothes I've ever seen. These two bad <laughs> pants. He's, you know, wanting to go. He's scaring Bobby Heenan with Jake the Snake snakes and all this stuff kind of creeping around. It, he's such a shill. At that time, and even like in 1991, that's only two years from when he played a, a very effective heel in USWA. Right. And of course, his later on reincarnation in WWF. It's amazing to watch that transformation in only about seven years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last one out, as, as mentioned, was uh, Junkyard Dog. He came in at number 20. Um, 
we have all these guys out. Uh, Junkyard Dog gets uh, eliminated by Ron Bass. We had One Man Gang who came in, and, and, and obviously we mentioned he eliminated Ultimate Warrior, but also eliminated uh, Jake Roberts to a lot of fanfare. Jake Roberts was in for 2152. Uh, One Man Gang and Dino Bravo also eliminate Don Morocco. Uh, One Man Gang takes out uh, B. Brian Blair, Hibbilly Jim, and then eventually takes out, as we'll mention in a, in a little bit, his own man Dino Bravo. But a lot of eliminations. We have six eliminations for One Man Gang. Obviously, it doesn't sound like a whole lot when you get, you know, Kane has 11 or whatever, you know, the record was. But at this time, it was a record. Last, you know, the next year it was beat by Hulk Hogan. But when you imagine there's only 20 guys in here and, and one man game takes six out of me, he was positioned as a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I would be, this is kind of a, a, a sabermetric-y type thing, but I'd be interested to see if anybody that came in either next flat, because one man game was the next to last person to enter. I'd be kind of interested if anybody that's came in next to last or last is eliminated more than one main mm-hmm. game did here. Because I can't right offhand think of anyone that has eliminated six or more that came in at number uh, 29 and 30 after this. But 19 right. Well, you got, you got a question for me, so if I have some time today, I will uh, look that up for you. And- Discuss, make a little note on Twitter, or maybe make a little yeah. article out of it, or something. So thanks. Now I now I'm going down a wormhole. With it. <laughs> it just came to I appreciate. Head. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'll make Mookie do it. I'll make Mookie yeah, do it. Yeah. It'll take him. It'll take him two minutes. And yeah, he should have. Uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I I think it's certainly not too tall a task for him. <laughs> no, and even if even if not, I mean, you buy his book once, and and he's he'll do whatever you want for it. <laughs> Forever. So uh, we're down to Dino, One Man Gang, and, and Jim Duggan as the final three. I found this, uh, <laughs> I mentioned One Man Gang eliminated Dino Bravo. This is a very interesting elimination. Uh, Dino uh, holds up One Man Gang, or uh, holds up uh, Jim Duggan, rather, uh, for One Man Gang to clothesline. Um, the, the idea is that Dino Bravo is going to hold him up, go to the ropes, go near the ropes, and, and One Man Gang is going to clothesline uh, Jim Duggan and knock him out, but somehow not knock out Dino Bravo, who's holding him up. Behind him, I I don't know what the I don't know what their plan was uh, here before it it all went awry, but it, it's I've always the hold up in wrestling has always been something that that that's amazed me. I mean, I, every time a guy holds a guy up and he's going to hit him with a chair shot, it's or, or you know Shawn Michaels used to do it with Diesel where he's going to hit him with the with the sweet chin music. It's like the guy's gonna you know, his head's going to fly back into you, right? Like like why are you holding him up for me? Yeah. Just put him in a corner, like to just get out of the way, or like hold him up and then dive out of the. It's it's I've never understood the hold up. I mean, it, I think there's been like what four or five successful hold ups in, in yeah yeah you know, wrestling history. It's, it's usually not good news for the heels. Uh, <laughs> it's it's almost kind of like a percentage play. It's like are you really banking that the one percent time this does work is going to be this time? So I don't know why you would do that. This one was even worse or worse than most though because Dino does practically almost like as as fast as Dino can. He moves to the ropes. So it clearly set up what was about to happen. And like you said, one man gang closed on him out. And then Frenchie Martin, which the managers were allowed at ringside for this Royal Rumble, but Frenchie Martin dives on top of uh, Dino <laughs> in a funny moment. And they're going and we're down to our final two. And, and Dino couldn't move, but I, I love the character. I mean, I, I think he, he, he knew how to play the character. And the fans just hated him. They just despised Dino Bravo. And I thought he, especially with the manager, um, he played a good part in that. But, yeah, I mean, I, obviously as the wrestler, I didn't like Dino Bravo. But the character of Dino Bravo was pretty fun, uh, especially at this point. So, yeah, we're down to One Man Gang and Jim Duggan. Uh, one Man Gang goes for another clothesline. And uh, clothesline's, again, not working out very <laughs> no. well for One Man Gang. Because uh, Jim Duggan then uh, lowers the top rope. And One Man Gang very slowly topples over to the floor. And your winner is Jim Duggan, the winner of the 1988 Royal Rumble. And not a whole lot of fanfare. They just kind of say, all right, Duggan's the winner. And, again, you have to make – you have to notice that uh, this Rumble wasn't for – 
a title shot. It wasn't for the Intercontinental title shot. It wasn't for the world title shot. It wasn't for a world title, which we saw in later Rumbles. This was just kind of the, okay, you're the Royal Rumble winner. Hooray. And Yeah, not, not a lot of prestige. I mean, even like the – you could tell they didn't necessarily know this was going to be a – uh, a slam dunk concept because they of course didn't have like a ring apron or any signage that said Royal Rumble like around the ring. It was just a mm-hmm. generic ring, and and Duggan winning was a a nice feel good moment I guess for uh, one of the more popular guys. Uh, this is something I think if you look back in history with what we know now and you hear Jim Duggan won the first Royal Rumble. It seems a little suspect and fishy. Uh, even worse is the next year's Royal Rumble winner. But when mm-hmm. you when you go through the list of the twenty guys in this match, it doesn't look quite as suspicious as he honestly was one of the top guys within this match. And, and you will notice through the names that we mentioned there that you're, you're missing a lot of the big guys, a lot of the big stars. Obviously, this is a TV special, and this is how TV wrestling was sort of done at that time. You you, you don't have Hogan in there. You don't have Savage. Uh, Piper was in a pseudo-retirement at this time, so he uh, he wasn't out there. Uh, Ted DiBiase was a guy that wasn't there. Um, any other kind of big guys? I'm just, Andre, Andre the Giant, obviously. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and then uh, Rude would probably be a, another <laughs> kind of lower-level uh, person. Even like uh, somebody like Ricky Steamboat, which, you know, oh, right, Rude yeah. and Steamboat, uh, had their singles match early on this show, so they didn't do double duty. But uh, and then Hogan and Andre did their little segment right before this match, which you could argue was kind of the quote unquote main event of this show. But uh, but yeah, so those those major guys, even somebody like the Hammer, I was kind of perplexed why he wasn't in it because uh, he was a decent name at this time still. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you look at the set of fanfare, and, and maybe I'll ask you this question, um, looking at the match, guys that sort of stand out, maybe uh, A, the guy that you think at that time was the biggest star, or maybe the, the perception was the biggest star, and then B, the guy who they sort of positioned as the biggest star, that Vince put over, that Jesse put over, those sort of guys. Because I think initially, I mean, you, you, we talk about Duggan, and you're kind of like Jim Duggan, but when you look at this, he's, I mean, he's up there. Yeah, he's he's up there. I would, if I had to pick one guy that I would say was uh positioned as the biggest star in this match i would say one man gang just as a possible uh i don't i don't know for sure if they knew what they were doing at wrestlemania 4 but it felt like with one man gang and his actual elimination because it wasn't a case of like duggan power slamming him over doing an offensive move he essentially won with a defensive move Mm -hmm. uh so i think that was kind of positioning gang as a possible challenger for whatever they did at wrestlemania 4 as far as somebody that kind of got a guess a rub for this match, I think Bret Hart is certainly yeah. the uh, highest one there. It definitely, and Bret Hart, he was uh, obviously the first entrant, and then he also had the longest uh, time at twenty five forty two. Uh, that lasted another year before, obviously, as you mentioned, he had thirty guys next year. So it's hard to kind of <laughs> topple uh, records in that sort of sense. Um, one man gang mentioned he had the most eliminations with six, and that record would stand until the next year when Hulk Hogan. Uh, beat that, but yeah, obviously uh, Jim Duggan's our winner. Um, notes coming out of the, the, the Royal Rumble. Anything else you had, and then maybe if you can give a rating, we'll do a we'll do one through ten sort of ratings on this Rumble, and and, and your overall thoughts on the legacy of the the 1988 Royal Rumble. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, one thing that I found humorous was uh, Hillbilly Jim came out and he did actually eliminate Jim Neidhart, and then and like my wrestling geekdom, I was wondering if uh, Bob Uecker had money on him because Bob Uecker was a big <laughs> fan of him in the WrestleMania 4 
uh, Royal Rumble. The other person is Danny Davis, who got a, a shockingly kind of a little bit of a push here. I, I mean, he was yeah, it was in for 17, yeah. 50, uh, 17 minutes and 51 seconds. I think he was the third longest um, or, or the fourth longest tenured guy in there. Jim Neidhart was number three. Right. So he was being sneaky throughout most of that, but it, it's just kind of humorous. Again, to look back in retrospect and see, like Ultimate Warrior and Danny Davis going toe to toe with each other. At this <laughs> and Davis, he, I mean, he was getting some super heat at this yeah. time too. I mean, when he comes out, I, mean, I think looking at heels, I would say he was the number one heel in this match at least. Yeah, I think it's the pants. His, his, those pants are pretty. Yeah, 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 that's instant heel heat. Is those pants? <laughs> uh, the other person was uh, JYD. I'd watched a lot of 1990 footage uh, with Junkyard Dog lately, and he was absolutely dreadful in his uh, last series with Flair. Here, he wasn't quite as bad. I mean, he wasn't in for very long at all, but he was at least able to get over the top rope, which I'm not sure he could have done in 1990. The, the overall match, just to give an overall match thought, I, I think this one's kind of for completists only. Uh, a very bare-bones edition of the Rumble that we were talked about in the beginning. They were kind of working out some of the kinks. Uh, you, you seem to have a basic structure there that could work, but they would obviously improve upon that as they went forward. And I would say uh, I would only recommend this one if you want to watch all of them. I think if you want to pick 10 or 15 of the greatest rumbles. This doesn't make the list. And that's kind of, honestly, a lot of the WWF concepts, a lot of them, the first one out of the gate wasn't necessarily the, uh, one of the better ones where it's, you know, SummerSlam or WrestleMania, I don't think's making anybody's top, top five or 10 list probably. Uh, so if I had to give them a match rating, I'd probably give it a three out of 10. It's a, it's, it's a fairly quick watch. I wouldn't call it a good match. It's, it's fairly quick at about 30, 35 minutes or so, probably from bell to bell. Uh, so not, not a long watch. There's some kind of entertaining stuff just to see the first televised Royal Rumble, but I wouldn't say it's a good match. So three out of 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10. And yeah, it, it's as you mentioned, if, if you really, really want to watch every single Royal Rumble in order, you can do it. But I mean, if you, if you really want to do that, skip to 1990. You'll get a better right. experience. I mean, there's really, it's really devoid of, of the stories that we saw in later Rumbles where it was very much, okay, this guy's feeding with this guy. What is he going to do when he comes in at that time? Or, you know, how is this guy going to, you know, a guy like a Rick Martell or whatever in the 91 Rumble was in there for a long time and they built that up for a while. They said, oh, he, you know, he was an Iron Man in the Rumble or Greg Valentine was an Iron Man one year. And they do this sort of stuff. This one, they don't really make a whole lot of mention of that. I mean, they make mention that Bret Hart was in for a while, but that's basically it. You don't really have feuds going on through this match and, and that might just be because of the guys that are in it I mean you don't have guys I mean Danny Davis had issues with a lot of guys in the ring but he just kind of came in and was just Danny Davis and people just beat him up and, and it, 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 the, the deep level storytelling that you get in Rumbles and, and, and as we sort of mentioned at the beginning wasn't here it was just kind of guys coming in as you mentioned a lot of one on one a lot of very basic sort of heels versus faces it, it there wasn't a whole lot there there wasn't a whole lot of dynamics so yeah if you if you Really, really, really want to watch every single one of them in order. You can do it. It's 30 minutes, but you can skip the 1990. I don't think you're going to miss much. Yeah, I didn't make a note of any. I, I, I seem to remember there was one point where two either heels or faces were going at each other, but it was very brief, and that was literally the Boris uh, Zukov and Harley race actually had a hmm. little bit of heel versus heel interaction. But that was just Carly Race was just punching yeah, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> Race was just like headbutting and punching everyone. That is the only time I noted any kind of one-offs where people would go against their uh, party line, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so that wraps up our review of the 1988 Royal Rumble. Chad, before we get out of here, uh, if you want to mention, uh, again, uh, uh what you guys do there, uh, where you can see your work, and where you guys can be followed on, on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Okay, uh, com is the website. We have all facets of pop culture covered there. We'll have daily articles for you. Even on Christmas, we posted a podcast, which I don't know why, but we did. And uh, you can you can follow us on uh, Twitter, like us on Facebook at Place to Be Nation. Uh, follow us on Twitter at place the number two B nation B nation and uh, my own personal Twitter if you'd like to give me a follow I'm starting to kind of interact and try to interact more on Twitter is chatty c-h-a-d-d-i-e-151 it's uh, a nickname I can't live down everybody wants to <laughs> lengthen out my name but uh, that's where we're at so at chatty 151 is my own personal Twitter all right, Chaddy. Well, thank you for coming. On. <laughs> I'll say Chad just for the cops. Thank you. We're, we're, we're professionals here. So, all right, Chad, I thank you for coming on and, and reviewing the 1988 Royal Rumble with me. And we'll be next time with another, or we'll be back next time uh, with another Voices of Wrestling Rumble Rewind. Take care. All right. See you. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.